He's got a beautiful backswing. That's oh, he got all of that one. Oh my gosh, that is amazing. Lay up with an iron into the hazard. Well, that wasn't quite what I meant, you know. What is good, everybody? Welcome into the 73rd Hole Podcast, the official podcast of Golf Oklahoma. Taylor Williams, Jim Woodward, Sam Humphreys with you today. Colby Powell is on daddy duty today. But it is British Open week, guys. But before we get to the British Open... We got to talk about Xander Shoffley, guys. My pick from last week at the Scottish Open gets it done, T-Dub. Yes, yeah, man. What a hell of a pick that was. Pick Shoffley. I mean, it just won his last event at the Travelers. You don't usually think that someone would be able to win, uh, you know, the next event that they have back. And it's really good stuff that he had. He made a really good birdie on um, on 14 coming down the stretch. Made a, a really good eight-footer for par on 17 to basically secure, secure the win. Was able to kind of coast up 18 make a very lackadaisical bogey, actually hit an iron off of the tee to play it safe. So, yeah, just a really stellar golf from Shawflake. I'd be one of the favorites uh, going into next week, uh, Woody, especially when you look at, uh, you know, with some of the other guys like, uh, you know, uh, Scotty Shelford didn't play very good this last week. Neither did uh, Will Zalatoris. So, I don't know, Woody. Shawflake looking pretty or good. Or Justin going Thomas, into by the way. Throw him in that list. Oh, yeah. yeah, yeah he's he very good. 10 over. Yeah, great, great job. Well, that's the thing, though, is now we got to wonder, I mean, Chopley, is he going to run out of gas before he even gets to the British <laughs> Open? That would right. be my only question there. I was I was like you guys, though. I mean, I like him, too, Sam. Even though you're traveling across the pond, you know, you're different foods, uh, your time clock gets a little bit of skewed, but uh, good for Chopley. Chopley, you know who Chopley reminds me of? It's a little before your guys' time. Who's that? David Duvall. David Duvall in a lot of ways. David Duvall was a really, really great player, and he could never seem like he could get over the hump, And but when he did, uh, he was really good. Yeah, and guys, I mean, since he missed the cut at the Masters, I know I've given this stat before, but I think it's even – more insane now, just considering the fact he won at the team event at the Zurich and then tied for fifth at the AT&T Byron Nelson, 13th at the PGA, 18th at the Memorial, 14th at the U.S. Open, and then he goes out and wins the Travelers and wins the Genesis, guys. I think he might be the favorite headed into St. Andrews next week, T-Dub. Who are, who are a couple guys you're looking at? I know uh, Woody just brought up a couple guys. I'm looking at can't lay, and I'm looking at Xander Shoffley. You know, if, if I had to go just, just a, a guy that's picking my favorite, I've had Rory as the winner of this tournament going all the way back to our 2022 uh, season preview way back in at the end of December, early January. So I, I'm definitely on, on the Rory train. Uh, watching him earlier, he was in the Tigers group in the uh, little champions contest they had going on, the little four-hole deal. And Rory actually hit it in the hotel on 17, so that kind of didn't make my uh, my hopes for him look any better. But, you know, pressure, <laughs> I think, happened. So I'm uh, I'm gonna go ahead and go go with Rory. You know, you look at some other guys. Not not very many people talking about it. He's going to live, but but Louis the last two times has been played at St Andrews. He won by seven shots in 2010 and lost in a playoff in 2015. So I think I look out for him as well. Um, number one player in the world, Scotty Scheffler, did miss the cut last week, but did finish eighth last year at uh, Royal St George's in his first uh, Open. And you know, guys, you know Woody, you can probably tell this even more. You know, the links golf is just the type of golf that you just have to learn. It's hard to uh, just get out there and kind of wing it. You have to be able to visualize shots. And it takes a little bit more creativeness than, than general. So 
I'd probably go with Rory, but like I said, you know, you make a lot of good points. I think Shoffley is definitely a top five, maybe even at worst a top three pick. I'm going to surprise you guys. You know what I'm going with this time for this tough tournament? Who's that? I'm going to go. I think Shane Lowry and Harold Hatton are going to be right there. But I, like I, told you guys, I told you guys that I've learned my lesson. I'm putting Will Zalatoris in there somewhere because every major, he's in the top two, top three, top four, whatever it is. And I kept saying to you guys last time, I said, well, I, I'm stupid, but I'm not that stupid. So he's on my list, my short list, too. Well, I was just about to ask you about Jordan Spieth, Woody, and and obviously, you know, the driving of the golf. I mean, yesterday at the Scottish Open, it looked like Spieth was on a safari in the high grass all day. And so tell me who you would favor more at St. Andrews specifically. Would you would you favor a ball striker or a great putter? Because we haven't really seen Will Zalatoris really putt great on slow greens yet. Uh, kind of give me Spieth or Zalatoris, who you would kind of favor uh, their type of games at St. Andrews. Well, the one thing I I always remembered about St. Andrews, I got to play, you know, I think I played St. Andrews five different times. And I was very fortunate that I took trips over there and I was always able to get on that golf course. I never played a British Open there. But the one thing about St. Andrews is you've got to keep it out of the bunker. If Spieth drives far enough off the line, believe it or not, he won't really be in the bunkers. Um He'll, he's kind of like Seve Ballesteros from that point back in the days when Ballesteros was winning British. He, he did it so far offline with his driver that he would usually be okay. The car so, park, right? Uh, yeah, a car park. Yeah, and, and, and Spieth, I'm like you, Sam. I was embarrassed watching a little of that Scottish Open about not just Spieth, a lot of these guys. I think the modern-day PGA Tour pro drives the golf ball as bad as anything I've ever seen in my lifetime. They are the worst drivers of the golf ball. You know, a guy will say he hit 60% of the fairways and acts like he did something. Calvin Pete used to hit 90% of the fairways, okay? <laughs> unbelievable. When he was driving it, okay? So these guys are horrible off the tee. And I would I would look at every one of them dead in the eye and go, you can't drive the ball with a lick. It's a good thing you can hit it far because you sure as heck can't hit it straight. None of them. I saw nobody driving the golf ball that last week in Scotland that I would I would go, wow, this has a good driver of the golf ball. So I'm beating up on them a little bit because they're still world-class players. But, gee whiz, can somebody drive the ball in the fairway for me, please? And, by the way, let's talk about that golf course because I thought that the Renaissance was a great course and a really tough course to finish on, T-Dub. We talked a little bit about it on the radio show yesterday, but I thought that, you know, 17 and 18 especially were really tough finishing holes. And, and, you know, you mentioned Xander basically won the tournament when he made about the seven-footer on 17 and then was able to hit iron off the tee on 18 to avoid the bunkers and and get the victory. What would you think of the Renaissance? Yeah, I'm a, I'm a pretty big fan of that course. Uh, you know, our our man Tom Doak was uh, was a designer of that place, so definitely like what I saw. You know, what I mentioned yesterday on the radio show, I really liked 12, 13, and 14, that nice little stretch back there by the uh, by the ocean. I thought that was really cool. And and Sam alluded to that the finish on 18. 18 was by far the hardest hole on on the course all week. The uh, the last two rounds, it played more than a half a stroke over par. So seemed like it was honestly a, a more glorified short par five than it was even a. Uh, 
a par four because both days it played closer to a five than even did a four. Um, and, and 16 was a really good uh, risk-reward hole as well. It seemed like if you were able to hit the fairway there, you are able to take advantage. Uh, yesterday it played .28 strokes under par. You know, Actually, one of the rounds it played um, played a little bit over par. So it, uh, yesterday was a little bit more advantageous uh, for the guys. So, yeah, I really I really like the Renaissance. I think it's a, a really good mix between links golf while having, having a little bit of you know, because there's a few holes that are more inland that have tr- a couple of trees on them, at least by the tee boxes, don't really come into play that much on the fairway. So I really like the, I really like what I saw from that course, Woody. And, and one thing I want to throw out here, just because uh, I think I wanted to mention this yesterday on the radio show, and I forgot to do it. You know, we're pretty big on the the stroke scan analytics and stuff like that. Well, Cameron Tringali was leading this tournament after the first round, um, shot a, a 61 nine under, and he gained guys, he gained 11 strokes on the field, 11 in one round. I have never. In one round, wow. I've never seen that. It, I, the only time I can remember seeing that happen was uh, Victor Hovland did it at Tory um, a few years ago, maybe two, maybe one or two years ago now. So didn't um, Matt I mean, Jones do it at the Honda or something like that? Like ten shots? You may be right. There, there, there was one other time where there was a uh, a really big a discrepancy like that. Another time that uh, that was up there was obviously Charlie Hoffman the first round of the Masters that year when it was really cold, shot yep. five or whatever it was, leading by about four shots. So. Very rarely you see that. I know that Tringali got the uh, the good end of the the draw, but still, Woody being able to gain eleven strokes in one round—that's something that following we follow the analytics. That's something we've seen maybe only a handful of times. Especially when you look at the strength of that field. I mean, that wasn't the ball. What is it, Barbarol? Barbarol. Barbarol. Whatever. You know, I'm not sure about it. So, strength um, field of ten, Woody. I mean, yeah, just almost made it a ten. Yeah, but. When you look at the strength of field and to gain 11 shots on that strength of field, that that shows you just how unbelievable of a round of golf that was. And that golf course, the reason why I think you guys like it, I don't know if either one of you have ever been to Scotland to play yet, but you should. Put it on your bucket list. Me too. The one, the one thing I will tell you before you go, do not be looking to be impressed with the conditions of the golf course or the beauty of the golf course. It has nothing to do with either one, but take it for what it is. It's a kind of golf that will absolutely, well, one of two things will happen. You'll absolutely hate it or you will fall in love with it. And if you're a real golfer, you'll fall in love with it because it is so challenging to try to figure out what to do. And that's going to be the most fun. I, I really, I'm going to be bad here. I like the British Open. I I love our majors we have in the States, but the British Open is always, always special because there's always some kind of story. It, it, usually every tournament has something that's a big story to it. And the other thing is, is that weather is always so unpredictable. And watching these guys have to, figure out, try to figure out how to get the ball in the hole as quickly as they can. That's why now I think they're getting paid this week. Uh, They should be paid this week because they're going to have to work their fannies off. They've got to figure it out, and that's a lot of work for four, five, six days that they're over there working on it. So this is one of my most favorite majors. I really love this major. I will be watching this major. One thing, 
reason is because I can have my breakfast with it. That's always fun. <laughs> Absolutely. And the shows after the rounds are a little earlier than they are here in the States, Woody. Uh, T-Dub, I want to get to two guys that flew a little bit under the radar at the Scottish Open, but I don't think they should have because they were the two best drivers of the golf ball this past week at the <clears throat> Scottish Open that finished in the top 10. That would be Tommy Fleetwood and Matthew Fitzpatrick. Now, headed into St. Andrews, what do you think their chances are? Because, you know, here in, since 1960, we've only seen eight guys win the British Open from Great Britain. What do you think about the two Englishmen? Yeah, I really like both their chances, guys. I really do. Um, obviously, Fitzpatrick won the uh, U.S. Open around a little bit of that momentum. The first time we saw him back was at the J.P. Manis Pro-Am. He didn't play very good there, but did play pretty good. Um, this last week at the Scottish Open, and as you did, Tommy Fleetwood gaining over uh, over half a, or over a full stroke off of the tee shot three under in the final round. So yeah, I definitely definitely like what I'm seeing from them um, going into this. I, I will say this, and this is something I don't know if it'll happen. Just kind of looking at the weather, um, looks like going each day the wind's going to be out of the west to southwest, and each day it has about 14 to 18 mile an hour. Um, it looks like on Friday it says that there's going to be some AM showers. So I think one of the, the most important things we have to look at, guys, is uh, is tomorrow or maybe this afternoon, but I think it's tomorrow when we'll get the uh, the official tee times that come out. And, uh, you know, if, if that seems like it happened a little bit at the Scottish Open last week, the guys that went early late at, uh, were so advantageous to uh, the top of the leaderboard. And I just I, I hope that it doesn't happen this week. But, you know, we can talk about all these different guys, and we're going to do that a lot with the, the after the break on this show and even our next show going forward. But, it, we can just eliminate half the field if they get the bad end of the draw, Woody. And, uh, you know, it's one of the things that, is, that kind of sucks about the British Open, but also is the beauty of it in golf. So, I don't know. I like their chances, but they have to get the good side of the draw. And St. Andrews is, is, is set where it is set out on this little peninsula. It, can, it, it might not be as bad as Carnoustie when it really blows. But, boy, St. Andrews is not a place you want to be when it's raining or it's blowing. It is. It can get ugly out there. They're right next Although, to each other, aren't they, Woody? Carnoustie and St. Andrews? Well, they're pretty pretty close. Uh, Carnoustie's a little bit more in inland than, than say, St. Andrews. St. Andrews is on a little bit of a bay. Mm-hmm. Uh, Carnoustie is more inland. Uh, so it it is both of them. I, I mean, if I played either one, I'd really want to play St. Andrews because Carnoustie's just so hard. It just, oh, my God. <laughs> I mean, I think I'd rather go have an enema uh, than, than to play Carnoustie day in, day out. It is just brutal. St. Andrews has some fun to it, and I think that's what you're going to really watch. Do me a favor this week while you're watching, guys, and our, for our listeners out there, watch the way they try to keep the golf ball away from these bunkers. And, Tiger was the best at it I'd ever seen. I'll tell you what, when he played there in 05 and he played there in 2000 especially, he would hit a lot of irons off tees just to keep the ball out of these bunkers. And he might have a longer club into the green, but anything to stay out of those bunkers. And he's the only guy in the field that, that, and I know in 2000, he was the only guy in the field not to hit in a bunker the whole week. Yep. None. Now, when you think about that, when you watch this golf course, because there's there's these little pot bunkers and little just holes in the ground that you don't even know are there that the ball will feed into it all the time. That's why this golf course was built to miss them all for 72 holes. 
man, that well, once again, we're talking about stuff that Tiger did that no other human could do on a golf course. Absolutely. Uh, Woody, real, real, Go ahead. Well, Woody, I want to ask a question about the bunkers because they were kind of talking about this earlier on the golf channel. And, you know, everyone talks about that, that generally players will lower the, the bounce on their wedges to go over mm-hmm. uh, to Link's golf just because the ground's so much firmer. But, but just right. talking about the bunkers, especially the greenside bunkers, are so fluffy that you need the bounce to be able to get to get out of them properly. So what what is a good philosophy for these players going into it? Do they take the bounce off of the fairway shot, or, or do they leave a little bit of bounce on to see if they'll be able to uh, to uh, hopefully get out of those bunkers? I, I got to tell you, T. Dub, I I think they're gonna I think they're gonna just try it the best they can to stay away from those bunkers. Some of the bunkers I hit in when I was over there. I, it wouldn't matter if you had bounce, no bounce. I needed a track hoe on some <laughs> of them just to get out. Okay, so it, it. I mean, I'm with you a little bit, buddy. But but the the sand is coarse usually. It's and one bunker is going to be different than another bunker, and they don't apologize for this. Let me just tell you this about the British Open and the people over in Scotland and all that. Hey, if you don't like our golf course, don't come play it. Is what they'd always. If we complained about something, and heaven forbid I never did, but some of my dumb amateurs I took with me would say some derogatory remark about the golf course, and I'd be going, oh, shush, be quiet, shut up, okay? Because this is how they play golf, and you need to learn how to do it. And the fairways are firm, like you said. The grass is not bent. It's not Bermuda. I have no earthly idea what the hell it is, to be honest <laughs> with you. It's just grass. And you just you just literally, guys, you learn how to do it. And I'm telling you, when you guys go over there and play it for the first time, you'll be booking your flight to go back again. Because I know you two as golfers, you you would just absolutely love it. So put it on your bucket list. I said that earlier, and I'm telling you, please do it. Well, three guys that are getting to go play St. Andrews that weren't already uh, next week will be Kirk Kitayama, Brandon Wu, and Jamie Donaldson, who all finished in the top ten uh, last week. Let's get to the Barbasol real quick, guys. Trey Mullinex shot 25 under, 6 under in the final round to beat Kevin Streelman by one shot. Pretty cool story. He was talking about his faith and, and how you know he's grown a lot since he's been on the PGA Tour and, and he's a family man. And I know that people that I know like Coach McGraw and Corey Whitsitt and Dragon Majors, they all know Trey Mullinex and think he's a great guy. So it was a really popular winner, I think, among other players on tour t-dub yeah i would agree Trey Mullinex is basically known so really long bomber off the tee box definitely one of those guys how we talked about before where if they can just kind of get the putter and everything else timed right for one week it's gonna be hard to beat in 2500 very tough to beat looking 65 65 67 66 uh i don't care what you're playing that that's really good and you mentioned kevin Stillman, who's one of the favorites going into this week i know it's not really staying a whole lot um but with the strength of field of 10 but uh, he was the highest ranked player in the field so for trey to be able to beat Beat him was definitely um, very telling. You know, yesterday on the radio show, we were talking about uh, local Max McGreevy, who was in pretty good um, position, but unfortunately shot 74 in the third round, then 70 in the final round to shoot uh, to end up at 16 under, uh, tied 13 for the tournament. Um, friend of the show, Taylor Moore, finished 21st as well, ended up making the cut. Um, local guys obviously also didn't have that good of a weekend. Kevin Tway went 71-69 on the weekend to finish 50th. So, And I, I know Bill Van Pell is in here. I'm trying to scroll. I can't find him right now, but I know he made the cut as well. So, always good to see our man BVP play well. Um, Woody, oh, got him right here. Finished T27, um, shot 13 under, 
for the tournament, but it just seemed like a lot of guys just struggled on Saturday. 72 um, for him, I guess it was technically a third round because he played Saturday and Sunday. So a little bit of woes on the, on the third round for the local guys, Woody, but still great to see them do well. It was a good – I thought it was a good tournament for for the reason why, why are those – you know, when you had those secondary golf tournaments, as we call them, off of, the, off of the big week coming up, I think it's life-changing one way or the other. And and I mean, what I mean by that is, for for Trey, he he, he hasn't just been lighting it up lately, and so that's that's kind of a life changing deal for him. Uh, it can be a life changing the other way. You know, a guy has a chance to really get a good big check, and he happens to struggle a little bit on the weekend. Both of, a lot of our Oakleys did that, so I I enjoy those golf tournaments, but I got to tell you, I didn't watch a shot. So I can't say anything about the golf tournament other than the fact that I know that sometimes a guy has a good week, you know, and all of a sudden it boosts. So uh, I wish our Oklahoma guys would have snuck in there and won, but good for Trey Molinux because he was, he's a good guy. He is a good guy. I can tell you about one golf tournament, guys, and that is the End ALZ Golf Tournament coming up on August 29th at Oak Tree Country Club. It's a shotgun start at 9 a.m. with breakfast and lunch. There will be great prizes for the winners. And go visit hashtag End ALZ on Facebook or hit up our guy Tyler Marks, who is running the tournament, and you can hit him up at 405 205 0662. That's 405 405- 205-0662 and help end Alzheimer's uh, on August 29th at Oak Tree Country Club. Okay, guys, we're going to take a quick break and then we're going to get into a lot more British Open stuff because we can go a bunch of different directions. We can go Tiger, we can go St. Andrews, we can go history. I'm going to have some trivia for you two later on in the show. Stay with us here on Oklahoma's Leader in Golf, the 73rd Hole Podcast, the official podcast of Golf Oklahoma. When something the size of a golf ball hits your roof, you need to call McRae Roofing. McRae Roofing is Oklahoma's designer roofing service specialist. For years, Jeff McRae and the experienced team at McRae Roofing and Exteriors have served fellow Oklahomans by helping them with their roofing needs. McRae Roofing uses only top quality materials and professional crews to make sure that each job is done right so it will give you the years of service, security, and protection you need from the unpredictable Oklahoma weather. McRae Roofing offers residential and commercial roofing, ventilation services, and custom copper designs. McRae Roofing is dedicated to exceeding the homeowner's expectations. It's not just a roof, it is your home's crowning glory. Call McRae Roofing today at 405-692-4000. That's 405-692-4000. Make sure to also visit their website at mcrayroofing.com. That's M-C-R-A-Y roofing.com. Don't get caught with a leaking roof. Contact McCray Roofing for your free inspection today. Rolling along here on the 73rd hole, the official podcast of Golf Oklahoma. And go visit GolfOklahoma.org and get all of your local golf news. I'm sure that Kim McLeod has a bunch of stories going on just this morning that are brand new. See what's going on just today on GolfOklahoma.org around the state in the game of golf. Uh, first, T-Dub, give us what was in the bag for Xander Shoffley last week at the Scottish Open. 
Yeah, so, you know, obviously we, we mentioned earlier that he wanted the Travelers last time he played. So we won't go through the whole back because there was almost everything was the same with the Callaway driver, three wood, and uh, irons with the with the tireless wedges and obviously putter. But the main difference, guys, was that at the Travelers he had himself a, uh, a hybrid seven wood type deal, um, 21 degrees, kind of a, a mix between what you would call a seven wood and a hybrid. And instead, guys, he had a, a Mizuno MP23 in the bag, which I think is going to be a common trend because you can just hit uh, hit low runners out there at St. Andrews to get the ball in play and just let the ball run. It's just going to chase millions of miles. So I think that's uh, something that we've seen from shot plate change going from – because over here in the States, you have to use a higher loft and fly everything to the pin. I'm not going to have to do that this week. So he won't be the only one making that change. So it's really cool to see what guys try to do leading up to this major championship because it's just so unique at golf cups. Yeah, no doubt. And – not just what's in the bag, but what's on the bag. Hopefully you have a Groove It brush. And go visit GrooveItBrush.com and enter promo code 73rd hole. That's 73RDHOLE. And get 10% off the greatest club cleaner ever made, guys. Uh, yeah, I mean, we've seen a bunch of different clubs, Woody, in the bag uh, for Open Championships. I mean, most famously probably around here was Todd Hamilton with the hybrid where he was using it to putt around the greens. Um, some guys put more loft on their putter a little bit. Uh, you know, w- what else have you seen guys do headed over to the British Open, or what did you do? Well, I never played in the British Open, and, and shame on me. And, and again, I... I know you guys find this stuff hard to believe. Like I was telling you the other day where I hardly could make enough money fishing the top 125 to make a living. <laughs> I thought it was too expensive to go play the British Open. Okay. And I was exempt in 92 when it was played at Muirfield and I didn't go, Okay, oh, wow. which is, that's pretty stupid on my part. Looking back, that was really stupid on my part, but <laughs> I've told you guys that I've done some stupid stuff. So, it, it is, uh, I'll just tell you the stories of, of what I would find when I'd play in Scotland, when I would go over there and taking groups over there. One of the things you know it's going to do is blow. So I was always looking for the club that would hit it a little lower and chase the golf ball, just like T.W. was just saying with, uh, with uh, oh, uh, Xander Shoffley, going with that MP uh, Mizuno club. All the, keep the ball on the ground in Scotland is the most telling statement I can make to you guys. You do not want to throw the ball in the air. So everything you're going to see these guys doing is going to be towards the bump and run or anything that the ball can chase and roll for as far as it can. Uh, like I said, they'll be careful because sometimes it'll roll, 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 roll and go right down one of those bomb holes that they have, and then you're really toast. So – I look for guys to be keeping it on the ground like they always do in the British Open. Absolutely. And, guys, we saw Tiger Woods back in action starting on Sunday and then obviously played in the little, uh, you know, champions tournament they had today over at St. Andrews for the 150th and and played a full 18-hole practice round yesterday. I know that on the radio show yesterday we had the quote from Joey LaCava, T-Dub, that said, you know, he started off really struggling and then kind of got it together by the end of the round, even drove 18, almost made an eagle on 18. What do you expect from Tiger this week? And can we expect him to make his third cut in a row this year for him in majors? You know, we kind of alluded to it with the, with the Fleetwood uh, Fitzpatrick when we were talking about them earlier. And a lot of us going to have to do it with the luck of the draw because we've seen every team I've seen Tiger, um, especially this week, he's been wearing a long sleeve shirt. So it's been 
little bit chillier over there. He hopes that the, the body doesn't tighten up. I will say this. I feel like from what I saw today, so he played four holes. He parted the first hole, parted the second hole, um, hit it on the green on 17. It was about a 50-footer. I never saw if he two or three-putted that one. I'm going to assume two-putt. And then he had about a six-footer for birdie on 18. I never saw if he made that or not. But he did um, almost drive the green. Rory did drive the green in his group. So I think that if he's able to go the first couple of days, he can get not get screwed with the tee time. And if his body just doesn't start hurting too early in the week, I do think he will make the cut. Um, just because he knows this course so well and can get around it. It's, uh, you know, just even watch him hit a couple drives, hit a few beautiful little fades out there. He's notorious for when he went at Hoare, like not hitting a driver, but he's not able to hit as far as he was back then. So we'll see a few more drivers this week at St. Andrews. So, but let's just say that, for example, if we see what we saw at Southern Hills, guys, where he just starts limping and starts hurting, if that happens on Thursday, it's going to be really hard for me to think he's going to be able to grind it out for two days just to be able to make the cut. So, I, I will say, if I had to bet right now on him to, to make or miss, I will say that I would say that he would make it. But I'm very hesitant on him having any chance to um, to finish in the top 25 or anything like that. I'd be not overly shocked just because Tiger Woods would he. But if he finishes, if he's anywhere close to one of the final groups within two hours of the final groups on Sunday, I'll be overly shocked. I I tend to agree. I, I'll tell you something that I saw this just in this little trip that he's taken over there, kind of going over there early, uh, spending a lot of time with Justin Thomas and a number of the guys. I, I saw a little impromptu discussion he had with John Rahm about how John Rahm from, you know, keeps the loft on the golf club. I saw where he was playing in that uh, little pro-am, and he was actually uh, going back and forth to people in the gallery on what the club was and what shot. Um I, it's just a different Tiger Woods, guys. It's hard for me to grasp that this this guy is so approachable now because the only time I was ever around Tiger Woods was when I was able to qualify for a PGA championship early in his career, 99-2000. I saw him in both those. And he was a 16-year-old kid in 92 and 93 at the LA Open. And he was so focused and so in his own little world and didn't didn't have anything to do with anybody. I was lucky I got his autograph from my two daughters on their little player's badge, uh, family badge. And I was kind of shocked he even did that for me. The only reason why he did is my locker was right next to his, Woods Woodward. And I told him I was a club pro. I qualified. And I think he kind of felt sorry for me. So he went in and autographed these two little <laughs> cards I had. So, um, I mean, he was very aloof. That would be an understatement aloof. So watching him now, I mean, I almost get the feeling is he's almost ceremoniously trying to play these golf courses that he loves, that he had great success on, and he absolutely – Love playing him. That's why I think he skipped the country club. He didn't have any background there, you know, at Brookline. But he does at St. Andrews. He loves it. Absolutely adores that golf course. So I think he will make the cut. Unless he gets just a terrible draw and the weather's really ugly, which we don't know what's going to happen there. Uh, Scotland's worse than Oklahoma when it comes to them predicting the weather. Okay? Nobody knows. All right? So... Here we go. If he gets any kind of draw, and like I said, you were saying, T.W., I agree. I still don't think he's healthy. I don't think he's even close to healthy. And, and boy, 
will he ever be healthy? I don't think he will. I think we got to kind of face the reality here that we're seeing the end of this guy's era, and we really need to appreciate every time we get to watch him play. Yeah, and T-Dub, if you look at the stats from the Masters and the PGA, at the Masters, he hit the ball pretty solid but putted horrible. And then at the PGA, he putted pretty good, but he hit the ball horrible. What are you expecting uh, just strokes gained technical-wise from Tiger's game at St. Andrews? And what might he have to do technically to win this golf tournament? Well, it's, you know, we kind of mentioned that. Or maybe not win the golf tournament. Let's say make the cut. I mean, (laughs) win just slipped out of my mouth with Tiger talking Tiger. (laughs) Now, you know, we talked about this a million times, too. Never doubt that, man. I, just, uh, I definitely wouldn't be uh, blown off the like we're in a parallel universe or anything like that. Um, yesterday on the radio show, we were talking a lot about the speed of the green. You know, Bill Zalatoris has kind of been the main focus of this because he posted it so well on the fashion green. But I think that's going to be the real big thing because, I mean, it doesn't matter what time he gets off. He's going to have to play in, in some 15 to 20 mile an hour wind. So there's going to be some times where he puts himself in a situation where he has eight to ten of a par. And, if he's going to be able to make those, he's going to be able to keep the momentum going and, uh, you know, kind of let everything go. But I will say this, too. Let's just say, if, for example, the wind doesn't even blow as hard as they say and, and the rain really just softens the course as opposed to, uh, you know, make it more difficult. If it turns into a birdie fest where you got to go to 2,500 par to win, I, I, don't, I don't know if he has a chance there. I just don't think that he can he can make enough birdies to stay in contention. I think he's going to need he's going to need a lot of things to go his way. He's going to need the course to play tough, but he's going to need it not to play – it's going to need the weather not to be really cold. I think is going to be the main thing. Um, from a, we talk about his ball striking stuff like that. His his iron play is what has always been so elite throughout his whole career. But even the last, you know, especially since the injury or whatever, it hasn't been uh, near the same to that extent. So if he's able to hit his irons anywhere close to like he did back in his prime, I think he'll be fine. I don't. From what I've seen from his swing, I don't think he's going to get out of position that often off the tee. Um, I think he will maybe a couple times, obviously, just because it's the nature of the beast. But I, I wouldn't expect that to be an issue, which is something that we usually think with Tiger. Um, so I, if I had to say two things, I think that the off the tee will be better than a lot of people expect. I think around the greens will be very solid. It's going to come down to if he's able to take advantage of his iron shots uh, when he hits good ones, and if he's able to to make the uh, the 15 to 20 footers for birdie and the the five to eight footers for par to be able to keep the momentum going with him. I'll tell you what, though. Think about something about the British Open, guys. Uh, 2006, I think, is when Watson was 59 years old and should have won the golf tournament. 2009. Uh, I mean, should have should have won the golf tournament there. When he hit he hit two quality shots on the 18th hole, he just got a bad break. The ball bounced and went over the green. Okay? He was 59 years old. So, to say, I know you said, when you were saying, Sam, what can Tiger do to win? Hey, I, I'm gonna, I'm gonna tell you, I've seen crazier things happen. Okay, I don't pick him to win, but, but you guys, you just never know. Golf gods are funny. If they want to reach down and bless old Tiger this week, we might all be surprised. He might be in one of those final pairings. I'm just, I'm just saying. I learned a long time ago, don't count him out. Okay, and uh, I, I'm. I'm just got a funny feeling. I'm like Ben Crenshaw. I got a funny feeling about him this week. I think I think you're going to see something really special happen this week with Tiger Woods. I've seen some rumors floating around Twitter. Now, you guys don't agree with these rumors that he might retire after this tournament, do you? Not a chance in hell that that happens. Not a chance. I I would be shocked, but he keeps everything so you know covered 
in hidden, for a better lack of terms. We don't know what he's thinking. He might. I don't. I, I guarantee you. Like I said, with Tiger, I've learned a long time. I'm. I don't know. I don't think so, but I wouldn't be shocked. Anyone who but came far, up with that rumor has no idea. Barring the barring another car crash, there is no chance he doesn't play the 2023 Masters. Not not a chance at all. So, I agree. and this is what I've been saying to people in in my group text. It's like like everyone thinks that Cassini's so hurt he's done and he might not play well. If he if he plays this open and he doesn't play another tournament for let's just say even if he plays somewhere in November or plays the father son or whatever he's gonna have multiple months off to get healed and get better and uh, we saw it from just the the first father son to when he played at the Masters he looked a lot healthier um, just in those few months so I, I think that he's not only gonna not retire guys but I think he's gonna come back next year and, and be he's gonna actually be able to contend next year I got I, that's what I. Like I've been saying, guys, and I've said this many times, either on the podcast or on the radio show, that I don't see Tiger contending until he's able to play the weeks leading up to a major. I I just think that, you know, there's too many variables when it comes to competitive golf versus a hit and giggle or even trying to put pressure on yourself at home. It's just so much different. Uh, And Tiger needs to put himself in that position a little more until I pick him to, you know, be there on the back nine. On Sunday, uh, T-Dub, I have a quick question to ask you. Why do you think, and Woody can get to this too, why do you think since 1960 there's been 32 American winners of the British Open, 21 international winners of the British Open, and only eight from Great Britain? Why do you think that is? You know, that is interesting. I will say that it's just a couple of things. One, it just shows how much the – the game of golf has just grown internationally. I mean, you mentioned the amount of international winners uh, that were there. Most of them aren't from uh, Great Britain. So I think that has a lot to do with it. I think it has a lot to do with just putting putting more pressure on it being your, your home open. It's kind of a little different here, guys, because the U.S. Open, for us, a lot of people a lot of people really like the U.S. Open and maybe their favorite major, but a lot of people really love the Masters, too. And people look at the Masters as kind of being uh, America's major, per se. It's usually at the top of the list for a lot of people. Not everyone. But close, but generally, you talk to the majority of Europeans, especially uh, you know people from Great Britain. The, the the British Open is by far number one on the list that they want to win. So I think a lot of it comes down to uh, to the pressure of it too, too, Woody. So I think there's a lot going because there's been great players um, from Great Britain. You know, Nick Faldo obviously is, is one of them as well. So I, I don't know. I think that there's a few factors at play, but I think the number one thing is just the the amount of pressure that the uh, players put on themselves to be to be called champion golfer for the year at the end of the week. I think that's, that's a really good point that you're making there. And I, I'm going to, I'm going to go out on a limb this week. You know, yeah, I told you about Shane Lowry and Terrell Hatton. I like both of them. And so, and Matthew Fitzpatrick, uh, hard to win two majors in a row. Um, I think we're going to see, I don't think an American's going to win. I know. I hate to say that, Sam. That, that reminds me of your Ryder Cup pick, which I'll never <laughs> let you that. <laughs> but I do not think an American's going to win this week. Even as good as Xander's playing, as good as uh, Shepard's been playing, all, uh, we got a lot of great American golfers right now. I, I just don't – I don't know why. I just don't think one of them's going to get there this week. And I think we might see that guy from Great Britain pulled off this week. Uh, let's, let's watch. It's going to be a fun week. One of those international guys that won the British Open is Greg Norman, guys. And I don't really want to get into a whole live discussion here today. 
However, we do have to bring this up. that The RNA said that it would be too big of a distraction to have Greg Norman at all the champions dinner and celebration and the little tournament that they do. Um, and then Phil came out and said, well, if Norman's not going to do it, then I'm not going to do it. Uh, so what do you guys think about this whole petty situation, T-Dub? You know, the, the point I made on the radio show yesterday was was that was it going to be more of a distraction for, for the event because Greg Norman was going to be recruiting players to come on the live, or is it going to be more of a distraction because the media was going to make it more of a distraction? And I think that we kind of came to the conclusion that it was going to be the uh, the last of those. It was going to be the media making make a circus of it. And, you know, the point that I made, I'm going to stick by it. I think it was absolutely terrible with what the media did at the U.S. Open, almost overshadowed the tournament with all this live talk. And, you know, if, if it takes not inviting him to make that happen as much as I despise it, I, I think it was probably the – is it the right thing to do? I'm not sure. And I think they had the right thing in mind, Woody, because they didn't want to distract from the 150th Open Championship, one of the biggest deals that we've had of this uh, of this millennium so far. But I just think they went about it the wrong way because it, it, we, because Sam made a great point yesterday. It was like, like they tried to avoid the media circus by not inviting him, but by not inviting him, it drew more attention to him not being there. So it, it was kind of a catch-22 in that sense. So I, I definitely think they had the right intentions in mind, Woody, but they just went about it the entirely wrong way. Well, I think when you guys, when all this dust settles, and we, we've lived ourselves to death, say, so to speak, but when all the dust settles, there's two guys that have really taken the biggest hits in this, and that's Greg Norman and Phil Mickelson. And I guess when – when we look back, it's going to be a, the treatment they got was probably way over the top as far as like they got the plague almost. Uh, with Rory coming out this week saying, hey, maybe we need to have discussions. You can see that you can see the dam is starting to get holes in it. Okay. And we've all three talked about this because we've all been so animate about it. This is going to work out good for golf. How, I don't know exactly, but I think Sam said it many times, and I couldn't agree with Sam more. It's okay that we come up with some kind of deal in golf where there's guaranteed money and there's guaranteed contracts. If you're one of the best players in the world, there's nothing wrong with you getting a guarantee. Uh, Basketball players get it. Football players get it. Baseball players get it. Uh, All across the globe, people get it. Okay, they get guaranteed money. It's one of the best athletes to get it. So if that's how this all ends up coming, which I hope it does, I hope that we have this one massive elite tour that everybody wants to play on and everybody's trying to get there and the rich get richer and the poor guy at the very bottom still gets rich. Uh, Because if he's one of the top 150 players in the world, he should make a good living. So I hate it for Greg Norman. I'm I'm not sure Phil Mickelson's doing the right thing again, but God love him. He's, he's going in there like a trooper. So, yeah, let's play the British Open this week, have fun, and then we'll worry about it later the next week, okay? No doubt. And I just think that the the bad thing that the RNA did was they invited guys like Phil Mickelson, and they also invited Louis Eusthazen and other guys that have you know played well or won the British Open in the past. They just didn't invite Greg Norman, so I thought that was a little unfair in that whole situation. And you bring up the Rory quote, and I, I guess I'll say it because we ta- I'll have the podcast up on sportsanimal.com, thesportsanimal.com that you can go listen to of the radio show yesterday. We took a deep dive into it. We don't have time to do that all today, but I I do want to let the people know what Rory said and what Rory said was 
I would be okay with some peace talks. And, and, you know, I think at the end of the day, pumping billions of dollars into the game of golf can't be a bad thing. And then he kind of reneged on what he said the next day. And I think it might have had to do with the PGA Tour not liking that quote very much. And he basically said yesterday morning saying, hey, it was a little out of context. And, and you know, I think that if the live went away forever, I wouldn't hate it. You know, T-Dub, I think that that was more the PGA Tour getting mad at Rory McIlroy rather than, uh, you know, Rory McIlroy coming out and feeling like he had to apologize for saying what he said the day before. And I'll say this, Sammy. If you're right on that, and, you, and the PJ Tour is the reason that they did that because they got mad at Rory McIlroy, that is, that is literally the last person in the entire planet right now that the PJ Tour should be upset with. He has been <laughs> the biggest spokesman for that tour over the last couple of weeks. You're going to get mad at him over something that really isn't that controversial. He's talking about what's good for the game of golf, not what's just great for the PJ Tour. So, if you're right on that, Sam, it's absolutely atrocious. It makes the PJ Tour even more of a, a monopoly, money-hungry uh, organization. Well, technically a non-profit like this. So I, I definitely think that you are onto something there. Um, but, but yeah, Woody, the PJ Tour trying to get upset at, at Rory is an absolute joke. And, by the way, guys, the Justice Department is investigating the PGA Tour over potential antitrust violations in the live golf battle. Basically, investigating them into being a monopoly and certain things that we'll get into after the British Open. Uh, But by the way, I want everybody to go to Ring Family Dentistry for all of your teeth work. Go to Ring Family Dentistry. Doctors Phil and Brendan Ring are the best in the business, especially in Oklahoma City. They do same-day crowns, clear liner orthodontics, anything you could possibly want. The best thing is all decisions are made by the patient. No pressure added whatsoever guys are you ready to get into a little bit of trivia i know my dad does trivia jonesing for johnny's on his show i thought it would be fun to do a little trivia between the young guy and the old guy on the british open here (laughs) i can't wait baby let's do it let's go Let's do it. So I'm stealing this from Golf Magazine, and they did a great 150th Open Championship preview, and we have, let's see how many questions we have. We have 18 questions here, guys, and they're multiple choice. So this could take a minute, but I'm curious to see who wins between you guys. So we'll go ahead and get it kicked off here. The world's oldest major, the Open Championship, was first played in A, 1850, B, 1860, C, 1870, or D, 1872? T-Dub, you go first. I, it's either 1850 or 1860. I think 1860. All right. Woody? Yeah, I, I hate to say it, but I think he's right. But since we're having a battle, I'll, I'll say 1850. All right. It was actually 1860. And okay. it, it's taken that it's taken 162 years to play 150 Open Championships. Um, there's been some World Wars and, and some other stuff that's happened where we haven't had that many Open Championships up to 162, just 150 here in 2022. All right, T Dub is up one to nothing. Question two: This original host course. Prestwick had A, 9 holes, B, 12 holes, C, 15 holes, or D, 18 holes. T-Dub? Um, I, you know, it, it seems like it's not the right answer because of this question, but the old the old rumor was there's 18 holes in golf because there's 18 uh, shots in a bottle of whiskey, so I'm going to go with 18. Okay. Woody? Actually, the first golf course had 21 holes, and they got too drunk. <laughs> 
so they backed it up to 18. <laughs> but it, it actually had 15 holes on it. It had 12 holes, guys. Old Tom Morris well, built the ah, original damn. original Presswick, which was redesigned and expanded to 18 holes in 1882. All right, so T-Dub is still up one to nothing, so that means T-Dub still goes first. All right, question three. No championship took place in 1871. Why? A, a sheep virus. B, the Boer War. C, an outbreak of lice. Or D, there was a lack of a trophy, T-Dub. What year was that again, Tim? 1870? 1871. And there were, man... You know, I don't know. I, I don't think this is right, but for some reason, I'm, I'm wanting to go with the lights. I think it was lights. All right. Woody? Uh, no trophy. Bingo. It was no trophy. Per championship rules for winning the three straight years prior, young Tom Morris was entitled to keep the championship belt. By the way, we should bring back the championship belt. That is freaking awesome. Oh, yeah. Uh, bring it back. I agree. And so no substitute was made available since he won the three years prior. Uh, okay, guys. So it's tied to one-to-one. Woody's going to go first this round. St. Andrew, for whom St. Andrews was named was the patron saint of Scotland as well, among other things. A, golf, B, gout, C, gourds, or D, gold? Oh, gosh. What was the what second one? Word? Gout. <laughs> I'm going with gout. All right. What was the third one, Sam? The third one was gourds, G-O-U-R-D-S. I don't know what the hell that is. I don't know. All right. Well, you guys got fooled because it was a trick question. It was golf. <laughs> it was golf. That was a trick question. I give you the saint of golf. That sounds like a pretty cool gig. That is a pretty cool gig. Uh, all right, next question. Tied one-to-one, Woody goes first. Which American won his only open championship appearance? Ben Hogan, Sam Snead, Tony Lima, or Bill Rogers? Ben Hogan. It Ben Hogan. It was Ben Hogan. Ben Hogan in 1953 competed... <laughs> The triple, completed uh, Tony, Tony, the triple crown. What's that? I was just going to say, uh, Tony Lehman won his only major over there, but, but he played in the, the Open all the time. So. Yes, he did. He got tricked on that one, but we're too smart, Woody. All right. <laughs> two to two. It's two to two, and Woody is still going first. Who has recorded the most runner-up finishes at the Open Championship? Palmer, Nicholas, Player, or Norman? Uh, I'm going to go with Nicholas. I'm going to say Nicholas as well. You guys are right on the money. That was a pretty much a layup. Uh, all right, so let's go to question seven. Tied three to three. Woody still goes first. What did Roberto DeVincenzo neglect to do after winning the 1967 Open? Sign his scorecard, get his name engraved on the replica winner's trophy, cash his winning check, or thank his sponsors, Woody? Cash his winning check. C-Dub? I want to I want to say scorecard, but I think that was the the master. So yeah, I, I think that's where we're gonna fool it there. Um, what was the and then it was not the sponsor one. What was the other one, Sam? Cash his winning check or get his name engraved on the replica winners trophy. Well, I think he probably got his name engraved. So give me the winning check. He actually did not get his name engraved because it was on the player back in those days to get your name engraved on the trophy, and that is when the RNA started doing it for the players after Roberto DeVincenzo <laughs> said, I am such a scatterbrain, uh, I forgot to do it. <laughs> so uh, 
It is still tied three to three, guys. We have a barn burner going on. All right. Uh, barn burner. Here we go. The first year, Woody, when all open competitors were required to use a standard 1.68-inch golf ball rather than the smaller 1.62-inch British ball was 1954, 64, 74, or D. Wait, what? (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I'm going to say it was later. What was the... Second one, it was 64. 54, 64, or 74, Woody? I believe it or not, I'm going to tell you, I think it was 74. Some part of me wants to say 74 as well, but I'll be contrarian and say 64. Woody was right on the money, and Damn it. let me see here. The, though the RNA didn't officially outlaw the smaller ball until 1990. You could have used the smaller ball in any other tournament other than the British Open up until 1990 if it was sanctioned under the RNA. That is wild. Have you guys ever used a smaller golf ball? I've never even thought about that. No, I haven't either, Woody. What, what, what would be some benefits to using a smaller golf ball besides it the hole? The reason why you guys have never done it is way before your time. <laughs> <laughs> uh, the, 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 the smaller ball... The dimple pattern on it was a little bit different, so it would spin less. And and so in the wind, it was a little bit easier ball to play. Everybody thought, well, what's smaller goes in the hole easier. No, 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 that had nothing to do with it. It was a dimple pattern on the smaller ball that would help it in the wind. The only reason why I got to play one is some guy brought one back from Scotland when I was a little kid at Quail Creek. And uh, he brought it out one day on a windy day. And I said, what is that? And uh, he, he explained to me a little bit about it. So... It was really cool looking. To the naked eye, you couldn't, you could tell, but not really. But the dimples on it were decisively different. That's really interesting. I thought it was just probably easier to putt with or something like that. I never would have thought about that, Woody. You learn something new every single day. And Woody, you go up four to three on T Dub. We're on number nine right now. So the championships media rights holders are contractually required to do what? Use the Open's approved font package, font package, uh, employ British spellings such as color like C-O-L-O-U-R instead of C-O-L-O-R, refer to the tournament as the Open Championship rather than the British Open, or pray for at least one day of wind and rain at the Open Championship. Woody. Uh, When they got on that kick about the Open Championship instead of the British Open, uh, you still hear me call it the British Open, but it's not. It's the Open Championship. That's what the answer is. 100%. Yep. That that was a layup, and I still call it the British Open to this day. I have no yeah, bones about it. <laughs> All right, guys. No, the U.S. Open is the Open. We, we officially declared that. Uh, <laughs> That's US right. Open. Woody called the U.S. Open the Open earlier this year, and I kind of like yeah, that. Yeah, that. <laughs> All right. It is. It's the Open. 100%. Woody is up five to four on T-Dub, headed into the back nine. All right. Players are eligible to enter local qualifying for the Open Championship with a world amateur golf ranking of what or better? 100, 500, 1,000, or 2,000, Woody? Oh, gosh. They they want them to try to qualify. I'll say um, amateur world ranking, I would say of 1,000 or better. I want to say 1,000 as well once again, but I'll be good trading because I'm 100%. Give me 500. It is actually 2,000, guys. So oh. 
Okay. They want anyone to be eligible to play. You just have to have a handicap of 0.4 or better to try to qualify for the Open Championship. All right. That means 5-4, to four, Woody still goes first. Nick Faldo won the 1990 Open Championship at St. Andrews, missing only five greens in regulation all week. How many were missed on purpose? Zero, three, five, or fake news. No one misses a green on purpose. <laughs> well, are zero and none the same answer? Yeah, I, I, and, and I'm, I, I, yes, I don't they are the same any, answer. Yeah, I don't think he missed any green on purpose. Uh, I would say, what, what? But what's the smallest number on purpose? Three, three and five. I'm gonna go with he missed three greens on purpose because Faldo's just goofy. <laughs> Yeah, well, I guess what would the term purpose be? Like you, you hit it in a bunker, so you purposely lay up. Does that mean on purpose? Um, I don't know. It kind of seems like a trick question. Give me, I don't know. It, it seems weird because I want to go with zero fake news, but the old multiple choice deal is that if, if you see two answers that are the uh, that are the exact same, you can eliminate those. So I'll go different. Give me five. I, I think you missed all of the ones he missed on purpose. Woody is dominating. It was three. Faldo three times opted to lay up short of the 17th green and its treacherous road hole bunker, guys. So that was technically on purpose. Uh, so Woody is up six to four on T-Dub. T-Dub needs a comeback, and we're headed into number 12. All right, in 1999, Vandeveld's historic 72nd hole triple bogey collapse involved finding which body of water at Carnoustie? The Berry Burn, the Surrey Streamlet, uh, the Tyne Tributary, or the Zut Rivulet? Woody. I believe it's the Burn one. Berry Burn. I, th- I think it's Berry Burn, too. Gosh dang it. It was the Barry Burn, so it is seven to five. Definitely know the damn answers. <laughs> <laughs> you, you have to, you have to get the ones that are weird, T Dub. You have to get the ones that are weird. Uh, this is a tough competition here, and Woody is dominating damn. seven to five. All right, Tiger Woods' eight-stroke victory at St. Andrews in 2000 made him what? The youngest player to win the career Grand Slam, the first American to win the British Amateur and the Open Championship, the first to win at Augusta National, Pebble Beach, and the Old Course, or Sir Eldrick of Woods? Uh, I believe number one is the correct answer. Uh, see, gosh dang it, yes, it's by far that one. Yeah, he never won the British Slam either. So. No, he never did. Win the you guys are exactly right. The youngest player to win the career Grand Slam. All right, Woody is up eight to six. Uh, okay, so number fourteen, the underdog duo of Ben Curtis and Todd Hamilton won the Open in two thousand three and two thousand four, respectively. Who was the lower ranked player? Curtis at three ninety six. Curtis at six ninety three. Hamilton at 127 or Hamilton at 721, Woody? Oh, geez. Um, I think, I think it was Curtis was the highest ranked ever. I think Hamilton was better than Curtis. Uh, what was the first one you said? What, what was the number? Curtis at six or Curtis at 396. I seemed higher than that to me. Was and Curtis never was higher than that. I'm gonna still go with Curtis. I'll go with Ben Curtis. So what were the two Ben Curtis guesses? It was three ninety three or six. What was the six hundred? It, it Curtis was three ninety six or six ninety three. 
Well, to kind of flip the numbers around there a little bit, but I don't think he was in the 600s. Um, I think he was 390. It was 396, Ben Curtis. By the way, Todd Hamilton was only ranked 56 in the world. A lot of people thought he was ranked a lot worse than that. Uh, no, he, he was playing pretty good. Yeah, He, he was bad. playing pretty good. Uh, so, who, who? what were your guys' answers there? I know you went back and forth a I little bit. We, I, I, I think, think we, we, we both had we got the same answer. Yeah. All right, so it's 9, nine to 7. Uh, Woody is still in the lead and still has the honor here. In 2009, Tom Watson led through 71 holes before making a bogey that dropped him into a playoff, which he eventually would lose to Stuart Sink, the worst tournament of all time. I mean, Tom Watson. How old was Tom Watson at the time, Woody? 59. Yeah, 59. Almost 60. <laughs> that was a layup. Yeah, T-Dub, you're going to need a tough 60. question here. You're on right, we 16. We need some tough ones, man. I need some of those golf ball sizes. <laughs> yeah. You're on 16. All right, and speaking of 16, in 2016, Henrik Stinson's final round 63 outdueled Phil Mickelson's 65 at Royal Troon to win three strokes, to win by three strokes over Phil Mickelson. How far behind Stinson was the third place finisher? Oh man! Not how far behind Phil, but how we, far behind Stinson was the third place finisher? Do we, do we get multiple choice here? We just yes. Give you okay, one. I didn't know if you guys knew it, so I'm going to go eight, ten, twelve, or fourteen. Uh, I believe it was eight. I want to say eight as well, but I think it was more than that. Was it? What are the choices again, Sam? Eight, ten, twelve, fourteen. Let's see. If Stinson would have been. I'm going to go with 12. You guys are both wrong. It was 14 oh. shots. J.B. Holmes God. was at 6 under. Stinson was at 20 under for the new open scoring record, by the way, in 2016. Dang. Okay, so well, T-Dub, T-Dub, you were dormy. You were dormy right now. Woody has a two-shot lead on you, headed into 17. All right, the Old Course Hotel bordering the Old Course at St. Andrews is currently owned by which American businessman? Mike Kaiser, Elon Musk, Herb Kohler, or Bill Gates? Woody. Oh, gosh. You know who I think owns it? Is, uh, I think Kohler owns that. Damn it. Gold Kohler. Ah, that's who, God, I, I have to get something different, though, because if not, I lose. But I know that's it. Um, It's not Musk and it's not Gates. Who was the other one, Sam? Mike Kaiser. Kaiser. I need that Between those two. It was, Kaiser. it was Cole Ernie's owned it since 2004. Woody <laughs> Sorry, wins the Open Championship, and we'll do, eight, we'll do 18 just for fun. In 1983, Golf Magazine published its first world Top 50 course list, where did the old course rank in 1983, Woody? I want to say it was... And it it was number 1, 12, 37, or it was unranked? I want to say it was 12. I don't think it was 1. Never been 1. Teed up? So this would be top 150 in the... Well, you know what? I'll go ahead and say 1. I think I gave a little bit of... Uh, it was B. It was twelve. Woody just extends his lead on the nineteenth <laughs> hole, on the eighteenth hole, but the uh, extra you know, hole. I, I pulled out driver on some on some par fours. So I should have hit iron. That's what I did. <laughs> <laughs> more, more than it looked like. 
By the way, hey. Muirfield was ranked number one. That was a pretty fun deal, but Woody, you dominated that. You dominated. Uh, I, dom- I don't know about dominated, but now you want to, you want a trivia story that's good about a British Open. Let's hear it. And you guys will love this one. When I was uh, just a little kid, I told you I grew up at Quail Creek. Uh, Ernie Vosser was a pro there at that time. And back in that day, believe it or not, way before internet and everything else, you would know who won the British Open, okay, early. You'd have to watch it on television. But if you wanted to know who won, you could find out before it was ever on TV. And I remember I was just a kid there, you know, running around, not know the little kid. And there was one member out there that was just, well, he was an ass. That's the best way to explain him. <laughs> I didn't like the guy. I, I couldn't even remember his name. I thought, if you guys asked, I couldn't tell you his name. But I just knew he was an ass. And he was walking around boasting about who was going to win the British Open, who's going to win the British Open. Well, Ernie Bosford had already told me who was going to win the British Open. And I said, well, no, I think so-and-so is going to win it. Because I think he, he already won it. And the guy goes, what would you know? He goes, you got any money, son? And I go, I got a little money. And he goes, well, I'll just bet you $50 to $5. Do you have $5? And I said, yeah, I got $5. He said, if you win, you tell me your guy. And I'll tell you, my guy, if you win, you get $50. Well, I already knew who won. <laughs> and I thought, well, you dumbass. I already got this figured out. I know who won the golf tournament. So I said, okay, I'll take so-and-so. And I took his $50, and I never blinked because he's such an ass. <laughs> <laughs> that is so beautiful. That is a great story. That is a great story. Speaking of money, Woody, tell us about Quail Creek Bank. <laughs> oh, God. Well, that's an interesting way to move right into Quail Creek Bank. You're right. Hey, well, let me just say this. Does your bank offer no asshole ATM refunded automatically? Well, guess what? Quail Creek does that. And they are, Quail Creek is located 122nd North Main, Oklahoma City. And if you think you should be able to use any ATM you'd like, then we refund those fees up to $25 per month, okay? So there's no questions ever asked, no forms to complete, none of that stuff, nothing. It's just another way Quail Creek Bank looks out for you. They're just a great, we said it all along, they're a great bank. They don't want any hassles, and they don't want you to have hassles changing banks go to quail creek right now absolutely guys and just to end the show on a little fun note do you guys think that st andrews is the best course in the open road of t-dub whatever you whenever you add the tradition and all that stuff in there i think that it is number one just from everything that that's happened there obviously being the quote-unquote home of golf if you look at the actual layout of the course i prefer to like carnoustie is probably the best of what he mentioned how tough it was which is really nice for me to see. I, I like the. That's how I think an open should be. So it's really nice to see that. You know, you mentioned earlier Muirfield is ranked number one. Muirfield always gets a lot of a lot of praise over there. Um, so I, I don't know. I, Muirfield never really stuck out that much to me. It seems fairly bland. Um, I, I really like a lot of holes at St. George's and, of course, it doesn't get talked about a lot. I like Royal Burkdale, too. Um, so I, I think that there's a lot of really good courses over there, Woody, but I would probably want to give a – if you take away the, the tradition – I could understand, but all the tradition and everything like that, St. Andrews has to be number one. From sentimental views and uh, tradition and everything else, it, it is it is St. Andrews. I'll tell you one of the best golf courses over there that you don't really hear about. It's called King's Farms because yes. it was only built 100 years ago. It wasn't built 500 years ago. And, and that, I think, is the most amazing thing. When you set foot on St. Andrews, 
And you stop to think how long it has been there. It's just mind-boggling. I mean, the number of sheep, the number of wars, number of all the stuff that have gone across this land, and it's still there, and it's still pitching, and it still hosts major golf championships. Yeah, I got to go with St. Andrews. I have to agree with you guys. Uh, of the top 100 courses in the U.K. and Ireland, the top 10 are St. Andrews, Royal County Down, Royal Dornick, uh, Muirfield, Royal Portrush, Trump Turnberry, Sunningdale, Royal St. George's, Valley Bunyan, and North Berwick. Uh, Carnoustie comes in at 12. Uh, Kings Barnes uh, comes in at 26, guys. Uh, are there any other courses on that list uh, that would be second on your list to play to St. Andrews, T-Dub? Mine would, be, mine would definitely be Turnberry. I like I like Turnberry. I don't know if you said it like Royal Troon as well. Um, I don't know if they'd ever host it open there just because it's in Ireland. But Royal County down it may be the best golf course out of all of those on there. So uh, I would probably if you if you're throwing off that list up there, then got the Bally Bunyan in there as well. Tiger and Rory played there on um, this past Sunday. Another great course um, over in that area. I think that course is in Ireland as well. So um, you know if they want to get out of Great Britain, they played at um, at uh, Port Rush, which is in Ireland. Um, back when Shane Lowry won 2019. So they've been known to do that. So if they want to go ahead and mix it up a little bit, it wouldn't hurt my feelings at all. Woody, if we're going over yeah. to Scotland for a trip, what are the courses you got to play? Well, if you guys, what you need to do is make a lot of money in the next 10 years and go for about a month. <laughs> yep. And, and then, then, you just, then you just play them all. But if you only got a week, uh, you got to play Carnoustie. If you can get on Muirfield, do it for sure. But it's hard to get on that son of a gun. Uh, it's also hard to get on at St. Andrews, but uh, here's a little tip for any of our listeners. I played St. Andrews, Andrews twice, not having a tea time. What I did is I went over there at five in the morning and talked to the starter and the starter would then let us join a group or he put us out as two or threesomes and let us go play that way. So you don't necessarily have to have a tea time, uh, keep that in mind. So I would definitely play that. St. Andrews. Uh, the old course is St. Andrews, but there's a new one that's only like 300 years old. And they call it the new <laughs> and the old. It's a pretty good golf course, too. So um, one of the things I would tell our listeners and you guys, if you ever go over there, there's a lot of little golf courses that you've never heard of. We played one called the, I want to say it was the way they said it was Donk. Um, believe it or not. <laughs> and it was brutally hard. This golf course was so difficult, and nobody knew anything about it. And then there was another one called Crail, C-R-A-E-L, uh, that, that we didn't know anything about. So if you go to Scotland, uh, yeah, you want to hit the finer ones, but don't be afraid to just go off uh, off the map, a little off the radar, and just find one of these little nine-hole or little 18-hole golf courses. You have the time of your life, guys. I'm, I'm just telling you, but the longer you can stay over there, the more fun you'll have. I promise. No doubt. And we're going to get into all of our player previews tomorrow on the podcast. And we'll be back Friday after the second round of the Open Championship as well. We did have some breaking news during the show, guys. Grant Gudgel of Stillwater High School is staying in Stillwater and committed to Oklahoma State University. Yeah, always, always good for uh, for a local school to have a, a local guy 
stay, stay there. You know, we mentioned Ryder Cowan going to OU, so definitely staying loyal to the soil there. And I think it's very interesting because we talked about this before. A lot of the international guys uh, going to Oklahoma State, so the fact that they're uh, staying a little bit closer to home, Woody, is uh, definitely a, a sign that I like. Well, they, they, they've been. I know Alan Bratton's been watching this young man for a while. So, um, and I, I believe I want to say his daddy. Now, you guys might need to help me on this. I think his dad used to be my Oakley rep. Really? His dad, Eric Gudgel. He could be. I'm looking at this picture of Grant Gudgel. I don't know him. But I'm excited to get to know him once he gets to Oklahoma State. But he is wearing some sweet sunglasses, Woody. Yeah, I, I think his daddy was an Oakley rep when I was a club pro here in the area. And uh, great uh, great guy, great family. So, yeah, I'm a little prejudiced. I like him staying at my uh, alma mater. So I'm I'm all in. I'm all, I love it. Good for, good for Allen and uh, good for the team. Good stuff, guys. And uh, do we have anything else? Did we miss anything, T-Dub? I don't think so. I think that, you know, anyone listening to this, make sure to stay tuned for our show tomorrow because we always do such a great job at breaking down the majors. But with it being the 150th Open Championship at the home of Golf St. Andrews, it's going to be even a mega show, just like I think it's going to be a mega tournament this week. 100%, guys. We're going to have all the picks. What What's up, Woody? And I wanted to tell you, I've got one great story, whether it's on Wednesday or Friday, that I have to tell you about the old course at St. Andrews. <laughs> beautiful. Beautiful. Oh, what a way to that. tease. What a way to tease the show we'll tomorrow. I can't wait to hear a story from Woody. They always turn out to be hilarious. Thank you for joining us on the 73rd Old Podcast, the official podcast of Golf Oklahoma. We will be back tomorrow with all your DraftKings picks, all of your one-and-done picks. We'll go over pretty much every player in the golf tournament for the 150th Open Championship right here on the 73rd Hole Podcast, the official podcast of Golf Oklahoma.